0: welcome to the show this is what a scream the podcast where i your host ogali mistali chats horror movies with a special guest every week and in particular we discuss two horror films in spoilerific detail that we feel um best encapsulates a certain subject or genre that i have previously randomly picked um I keep saying encapsulate, but I'm kind of unsure if that's the right word. And I keep forgetting to look it up. So fuck it if it's not the right word. Oh, well, it is now. Um, I hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. We have hit. This is possibly episode number 27. Um, Yeah, I can't believe that I know I keep saying this, but I really can't believe that I've, (laughs) I've managed to carry it on this far. Who knew that I could commit to anything? Apart from my husband, of course. Uh, (laughs) um, So, yeah, I hope you're enjoying all of the uh, themes we've had so far. Now, this theme this week is one that I'm going to admit I've been quite ignorant about. Um, Stupidly enough, it hasn't really crossed my radar, and that is really due to my own ignorance. I'm going to absolutely admit it. Um, And then, since kind of exploring and researching for this week's podcast I've really gotten into it Um, and I'm definitely going to write that wrong. Um, So this week's theme is horror movies from Latin America or the continent of South America. Um, Of course everyone knows about Guillermo del Toro and uh, he's uh, a Mexican director um and i would know all about him uh, but i understand a lot of his films are set in spain so i really wanted to look at films that are set within the continent of south america or latin america um so i did quite a deep dive on them and to be honest i don't know why they were not on my radar because there are some great horror films coming out of that continent and yeah, just through my own stupidity. Um, so this week, my special guest is Tim Coleman. Um, he is a freelance writer for uh, publications such as Total Films. He also is the editor at Moving Pictures Club, which I have, I am a contributor to. Um, and he is just a well of knowledge when it comes to movies and horror films and he's one of those type of guests which a lot of my guests are i would like to just cut open their skulls and scoop out their brains and eat their brains and hope that their knowledge gets um what's the word not marinated (laughs) absorbed that's the right word oh my gosh I could absorb their knowledge through eating their brains um, uh, so yeah i'm sure tim's never gonna call me again after this after hearing that but sure luck here we go um so yes i chat with tim coleman about horror movies from latin america and in particular we cover um two amazing films to come out of them um that really have such a rich commentary as well um, we cover terrified which is a film from Argentina um, it is on Shudder if you are looking for it it is from 2017 and directed by Damien Rubner and then we also cover um, a Brazilian film called Morto no Fala um, or dead don't speak um, and as I said that is a Brazilian film And again, it has an amazing social commentary in it as well as being, um, kind of interesting. (laughs) So yeah, here is my chat with Tim Coleman about two horror films from Latin America. I would like to welcome to the podcast, Tim Coleman. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you?
0: I'm very well. Um, have you been enjoying the recent spate of horror releases?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I guess it's been the de facto reality over the last year and a half with cinemas being largely closed. Obviously, they've just reopened. Uh, I'm in England, so here in the in England, it's they reopened. Uh, let's say about f- three weeks ago. So um, it's been good being able to get to the pictures to see a few. Like I went to see uh, Quiet Place Two and Freaky uh which which have been fun but yeah catching some stuff on vod as well like uh, or on, on streaming like things like uh the well when we we're recording the first fear street from netflix has yeah. just come out uh, last friday yeah so yeah. lots of lots of good stuff it feels like the uh the ongoing golden age of horror is yeah. is continuing how, how about you
0: um, yeah our, our Ireland has started to open up and I just had my first cinema visit last nice. week. I went to see Ben Wheatley's In the Earth. Um oh, amazing. Which was just amazing. Um, I recommend everyone to go see it in the cinema because it's definitely a cinematic experience. Fantastic. Um so yeah, I'm happy that the world is starting to open up again.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. It feels, feels. I don't know if you felt the same way. I felt like it was quite surreal going back into a cinema after such a long break. And you kind of have the muscle memory of how it feels with yeah. being in the chairs and like feeling, just being in that space, like experiencing films in, in those sacred rooms again. It feels yeah. feels like very...
0: I felt yeah, like just... a kid again, you know. The mm. first time you go to the cinema as a kid, and it's like this massive experience, and you're like, "Oh my god!" That's how I felt.
1: Yeah, yeah, similar. Similar. felt yeah like going home as well. Like part of, <laughs> part of your just remembers like oh yeah, this is what it feels like to be back in my safe space. Yeah.
0: Yes. Um, so, for anyone that doesn't know who you are, would you like to give us a little bit about yourself and what you do?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm a freelance uh, film critic with a particular Uh, Interest in horror and horror adjacent content or genre films, Uh, so I uh, freelance for a few different outlets, places like Total Film uh, and Jump Cut Online, and I also host and uh, edit a genre website called Moving Pictures Film Club, where we're kind of got a a, a suite of fantastic writers who are kind of looking at um, yeah different horror films, both as new releases but uh, retrospectives and yeah just basically celebrating the genre
0: and how did you get into horror
1: so i probably have a very boring slash cliche answer which is the same for a lot of people i imagine was that you got into it probably way too young <laughs> like saw stuff when you shouldn't do I, I had quite liberal parents and so um i have like really warm memory well the warm memories now i think i was probably quite scared as a child seeing things like halloween and the thing and the terminator and a lot of those late 70s and 80s films um when i was about maybe somewhere in 9 10 11 that kind of age um and uh yeah just just i think when you experience something as um so as involving and something which is as transportative as horror horror i think almost more than any other genre um seems to like when you experience it at a young age it just breathes a deep deep love in people for it. and so although maybe young meat was quite frightened by some of those experiences like certainly i the, my personal connection with a number of those films has maintained and continued to be really strong so they're going back to them uh, definitely feels like comfort food to me and and now it's the point where I'm, I'm a father as well getting to start to introduce some of them probably in slightly more restrained than my own parents were like I <laughs> haven't yet shown things like the thing to my my 12 year old um, but yeah just uh, fell in love with the genre that that kind of formative age and it hasn't really left me since.
0: Yeah I, um, I read a book recently and it had it was about like why we love horror and it had a chapter on uh, child psychology mm-hmm. when it comes to children seeing a horror film or being into horror. And it said that children that are into kind of horror and experience it from a young age are more able to deal with, um, say, real world experiences mm-hmm. because they have um, been in a controlled environment experiencing horror and fear um Mm -hmm. do you think that's
1: true i absolutely agree with that i I think then there's a real there's a real uh, psychological benefit and emotional benefit i think to being able to experience these quite uh what can be quite disturbing or upsetting emotions but within the safe space of a 90-minute film where things are quite clearly fantastical in their parameters so um like i mentioned for example the thing the terminator a moment ago and no one is realistically Although it's 2021, anything could happen. If I was superstitious, I'd be touching wood now. Um, (laughs) But no one is realistically uh, worried about kind of parasitic invaders from another world or a cyborg traveling through time to wipe out the savoury of the human race. But what what you are able to do through those films is kind of confront things like fear of mortality, fear of illness, fear of relational breakdown. Um, And and a lot of our horror films are fundamentally about confronting those things um, and then dealing with it. And you go through the cathartic journey with Whoever the characters like, Sarah Connor or, or, or Archie McCready, and you, you then come out the other end having exorcised something of your own anxiety about it. Um, I mean, it extends, I think, to cinema more widely. Um, I mean, these aren't horror films, but like Disney, for example, and I know, know it's a bit of a cliche, but Disney is very good about putting death in its films, like mm-hmm. often the deaths of parents, because that is to a child the, the most upsetting thing that you could think of. But actually, it's a really helpful way of like opening up those discussions. Mm-hmm. Like, um, And actually, I know things like The Lion King, for example, gave a platform for me to then talk to my kids about things like death and mm-hmm. starting to begin to have those difficult conversations. And so I think actually having cinema um, and art in general which is confrontational and will take you to those places is really important because you know our our culture I think shies away from those discussions a lot of the time and actually having a place where you can think about it and experience some of those feelings in a safe space is really really important.
0: Yeah that's a really good point um obviously my my son's tree so he's still quite young but uh we do watch the disney films and you know he's seen all the you know the death in the lion king and everything Mm -hmm. but i've always wondered (laughs) this sounds really good at what point do i introduce him to horror you know Mm -hmm. he's into like the spooky stuff like the vampires and the witches and the pumpkins but i'm like at what age do i say have a look at this because it shaped me who i am and i'm kind of okay so what do you think of that when did you start kind of introducing (laughs) your kids or have you started yet
1: yeah, no, I've, I've tried, I guess, my personal barometer and trying to, like, have that open discussion with my partner as well and just being like, you know, what, what she thinks about these things, um, because I'm probably a little bit more liberal on this stuff than, than she is, um, yeah. just because of my background, as I said, I saw all this stuff really young, but I think, like, my personal barometer is I never want to disturb them to the point where it's not fun at this age, yeah. because I, it is, a, for me, it's about safety and it's about yeah. actually experiencing the thrill of a scare but I don't want to give them nightmares. I don't want them yeah. to be up like yeah. half the night, you know, yeah. really full of existential dread. Yeah. And, and think so, of all the
0: therapy bills as well. Like you're saying. Well, yeah.
1: <laughs> but but then if you get that sweet spot where you are p- pitching it just right, that in itself is therapy as well. And so, yeah. um, so like I mentioned, I've got a 12 year old. So for her, um, I started out with things like the burbs, like the Joe Dante pick, which mm-hmm. is kind of really spooky, but really yeah. fun. Like stuff like gremlins too. Um, and now that she's a little bit older we're looking at some stuff which is maybe like 15s but it's like not scary scary stuff like tremors you know stuff like um actually one of her favorite films is quiet place which is quite scary but i think it but it's also it's not a nasty film like you know it's it's in the like quiet place is one of those great films which is thrilling and exciting but it's also a kind of quite profound meditation on grief and like a Mm. family surviving trauma and you know it's got a very different into to perhaps something of a similar certification like like the lighthouse for example which is mm. this kind of lynchian you know sexual abstract nightmare which is you know quite i think that's a, like a stronger cup of cup yeah. of coffee for a child so <laughs> um but i mean i think every parent knows they think it's the best and i guess it's just about pitching it what you think's appropriate for the child in a way that's going to be fun not harmful but helpful you know
0: yeah i was thinking about um, how I was kind of introduced to the world of horror, which is true Tim Burton films. Um, mm. I mean, say what you want about Tim Burton, but he was a lot of gateway drugs, like a gateway drug for people. And uh, my little boy, is into Nightmare Before Christmas, absolutely loves it. You know, he's watched Frank and Weenie, all that kind of um, yeah. stuff. So I think I might move on to perhaps Gremlins um, as well, because they're cute. And
1: kind of funny <laughs> yeah definitely and the second one in particular is like a lower certification and it's yeah. more goofy you know for yeah. sure yeah i mean stuff like timber movies or, or um like a studio stuff like Coraline as well like you know the, and the, apart from anything those are good films right like, yeah you know you want to you want to show your, your kids quality cinema um yeah.
0: Yeah, it's funny how horror is such a tradition. You know, you don't see this kind of handing down from generation to generation in many other genres of film. You know, you wouldn't be like, oh, I love this romantic comedy here, child, watch this. (laughs) You know, it just doesn't have the same kind of almost folkloric tradition.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I mean, maybe it's because historically, you know, horror has been around since time immemorial as mm. things like campfire stories where you would tell these stories, I mean, like the example my 12 year old um, and that literally begins with um, an old man telling kids around the, a campfire, mm. a ghost story before it then plays out on screen um, I mean, people just like being scared, right mm. you know, it's just built into our DNA and I think yeah, that that kind of element of passing things down a generation and, and also just sharing the things that you love like if it's part of your dna if it's part of who you are and the way you see the world i think there's nothing better than sharing that with the people you love not least your own children you know
0: mm-hmm. absolutely um so let's move on to the theme of this week's podcast um it's one which i'm going to admit i was really ignorant about like i I'd actually never watched a movie within this genre, uh, which is ridiculous, but it is uh, horror from South America. Now, what did you think of the theme?
1: Yeah, I'll admit when you got in touch and said, this is what we're going to be looking at. I was suddenly struck by a moment of like self doubt and thinking, well, have I seen many films from, from South America? And I kind of, I'll, I'll say that perhaps it's a uh, relatively for me, a bit of a, a bit of a gap in terms of genre films from, from, uh, from South America or Latin America. Um, I think if we expand it slightly to talk about uh, Latin America more generally, so we're kind of including the Caribbean and Mexico in particular, then I think it widens it up a little bit further than that. Um, But I was kind of like, you know, is it just that I haven't seen a lot of of stuff or, um, but when I kind of started reading around the topic, apparently, um, historically speaking, there hasn't been perhaps a a great history of of uh Latino horror films and perhaps the same way that some other genres have thrived cinematically, uh, you know, from that culture. So yeah. it's interesting that maybe if we throw our minds back 20 years, we could probably name quite a few, particularly kind of from Pan's Labyrinth on, if we're mm-hmm. taking that as like a, a helpful kind of um time where that kind of broke through to the to the West pop into the popular titles. Um but, but yeah, like I, so, I probably sent some of those heavy hitters, which a lot of people would have done. Mm. But I would in no way class myself an expert in this particular, um, you know, section of of horror cinema.
0: Yeah, because even like with, with Guillermo del Toro, he is a Mexican director, but yet he sets a lot of his films in Spain. Mm. Um, mm. Why do you think that there hasn't been a tradition of setting, you know, Latin America? horror films in latin america why is it always you know emigrated outwards to spain and portugal
1: yeah that's a really that's a really interesting question um i mean i when i was kind of preparing for today i was reading um a kind of an essay by an academic called uh, jesse Alaman, and i should say from the top apologies to all of our latino or our or spanish li- listeners um that my pronunciation is not going to be good throughout. I'm sorry, <laughs> um, but yeah, like um, Adaman was kind of talking about um, how if you could compare, for example, Mexican cinema to um, to uh, American cinema as the most the nearest uh, uh, major cin- cinema producing country to the to the north. Um, there isn't that horror tradition but there is like this rich tradition of things like political documentaries mm-hmm. um street films prison movies that kind of thing and i guess you could argue that perhaps the stuff that is proliferating that was um the fact that in dominant hegemonic american culture uh, latinos were often already kind of demonized um mm-hmm. and kind of already portrayed as the other so like one of the examples that Alaman pulls out is from the Keanu reese movie constantine where mm-hmm um the son of satan literally is a mexican immigrant hopping the border and it talks mm. and like some of the language in that film is around uh, deporting them back to hell and it's so it's, yeah. it's kind of very thinly veiled othering of yeah. uh mexican and latino people and um i guess in terms of why then like that hasn't fed into the cinematic tradition in mexico and in in uh, latin america from an earlier earlier period maybe it was just about confronting that a little bit and trying to like not not explicitly play in that sandbox or maybe, I mean, the, the, the political history and we'll probably come onto this a little bit more when we're talking mm-hmm. about some of the films later on, but the political history of those countries has been far more turbulent mm-hmm. um, in the last 50 years than perhaps um, nations like the States. I mean, in Spain obviously it hasn't been without its political issues, but like perhaps not as recently as countries like mm-hmm. Argentina, like Mexico, for example. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what's interesting is that there has been that shift, I guess, in the last 20 years where there are um, a number of filmmakers and a number of films which are kind of broken through a bit more to Western mainstream through people like Del Toro championing mm-hmm. them or through streaming services like Shudder, like taking uh, Latino, Latino films and then publicizing them. Um, so it feels like there's been a bit more of a seed change in, in the last 20 years. But yeah, it's interesting that, that not not so much before then, apparently.
0: Yeah. Uh, One thing I found really interesting about watching these films is how much they are set in that culture, in that community. Something that you don't really feel when it comes to American cinema or, you know, British or kind of Eurocentric cinema. It's just it's kind of very similar to like Japanese or Korean cinema where it's so ingrained in this community in this culture that it couldn't be set anywhere else and when there's talks of like remakes I don't know how you feel about remakes of like um you know other language films but it infuriates me because I feel like part of the story part of the heart of the film is because it is set within that community within that culture and I really got this massive feeling of that from Uh, the films that I watched how do you think the same
1: yeah no absolutely I mean in terms of remakes more generally I I don't generally see the point of them Um, Mm -hmm. I think if it's just to make them more sellable or saleable because people don't like to read subtitles I don't personally have a lot of patience for that um, because I'm just like guys just just read subtitles like the world is so rich you know like you you can't Really, I mean, I know films like Akira Kurosawa's films like Seven Samurai have been remade into like Magnificent mm-hmm. Seven, but like, y- you don't need to like yeah. Seven Samurai is a perfect film. Um, so I, I feel like there's this kind of, with remake culture, that's like a worrying homogenizing uh, of, of culture, you know, it's about mm-hmm. making it American normally, um, uh, or certainly Anglophone at least. Um, and I just think it's it's unnecessary. I mean, that said, there are, of course, remakes where they're very, very good. Um, but I would, I don't prepare this in advance, but if I think about the remakes I love, they would tend to be maybe Western remakes of Western films So things like, yeah. well, like, like The Thing or, or um, like Cronenberg's uh, The Fly. Those are kind of like
0: mm-hmm.
1: auto-cannibalistic films which are kind of reinterpreting the same, you know a film from the same culture Mm -hmm. when you're kind of importing it across like j-horror or or whatever it might be um, uh, I kind of think we're we're taking out some of the beauty and some of the detail Mm -hmm. and some of the richness of those films by transporting them to another context
0: yeah absolutely I'd be of the same opinion I just don't think you can yeah I just don't think you can get the same heart like I said it's just it doesn't have the same feeling it doesn't have the same heart it doesn't have the same atmospheric kind of beauty that the original one set in the original community and the original culture has um so stop remaking <laughs> stop remaking these films just watch the originals leave them alone yeah <laughs> um so let's get on to our first film would you like to introduce it and give us a brief synopsis please
1: i will certainly try um so the film which i selected was 2017's terrified by damien rugner um, and so, the plot, such as it is, <laughs> I'm terrified. Um, without, yeah, you know, without going into spoilers, is uh, about a series of paranormal encounters that take place in three homes on the same street in Buenos Aires, um, in Argentina, um, and um, a, a, yeah, I don't want to get into spoilers. We can do, um, but we do say, spoilers on we, this. Oh, we can do spoilers. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah.
0: Makes it a bit
1: easier. Okay. I'll say this I'm um, terrified opens with uh, it lives up to its name pretty quickly because within about oh, the first 15 to 20 minutes it is fully oh, fully terrifying <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't feel like I scare particularly easy but I was rattled so it, it begins Same.
0: Yes. yeah like I like I'm I'm quite a silent viewer like I watch a film and I'm very quiet this one had me shouting at the TV like I'm not yeah. going to lie I was that person shouting at the TV from this opening scene
1: yeah absolutely and going back to that thing about um about culture and remakes i think there's something about the way the shocks is delivered in terrified the way that uh, rugna kind of um uh, sets out a sequence which is quite antithetical to a, a typical american film well i, I mean the, the kind of classic cliche in like Western horror films is the jump scare, right? Where yeah. you get the, the full scare and then the real scare, but there's something about the way it, it builds and it's just drenched in dread, terrified. Yeah. Um, and so like the opening, the opening scene is a, follows a woman called Clara who's hearing voices coming from the plug hole um, in, in her kitchen sink. And her, her husband Juan um, is, is worried about this. Um, and then like later that night, he's in bed and you just hear this banging in what he assumes to be the neighbour and he goes into the bathroom and her body is being levitated by some unseen force and just slammed mercilessly into the wall until she is just a, a bloody ragdoll um i mean if, and if that's not bad enough we then quickly move into the sequence with um the neighbour um who was wrongly thought of to be the this kind of noisy noisy neighbour um a poor guy i think called Walter who Is convinced (laughs) there's something under his bed and so it sets up this uh this camera to try and video it and catches like just like a genuinely deeply frightening series of images of like this this tall pale figure that is under the bed and then he realizes is in his closet and then there's this shot of him like watching this video back with this Mm. face starts to emerge out of the shadows behind him I mean and that alone like your blood pressure's gone up about like 50 points by that point Um, yeah
0: I really feel that like you know like James Wan and the Conjuring Universe could learn something from Terrified because it's not all just uh, you know quiet quiet bang scare it's like this slow kind of Mm. dread especially when he's looking under the bed and you're Mm. like okay there's nothing there you expect something to be there and it's when oh when he's looking back on the video and oh that thing crawls out. no no
1: yeah yeah (laughs) it's done so well it's done so well um but but yeah and then of course like the third third supernatural event um which is in a way even slower, but it's somehow it's more powerful for it. I'm like a, a big fan of actually slowing the scares down. I think that's actually where a lot of the power is. Um, so, like, I, like one of my favourite examples is from um, uh, the Mario Bava film, uh, Black Sabbath, where which is the, the kind of um, uh, series of short stories, and mm-hmm. and there's the last one in that in that movie, the uh, A Drop of Water where a corpse rises from the bed and just turns to face somebody and kind of walks towards them and it's yes. as simple as that but it's just drawn out horrendously slowly yeah. and it's so terrifying because of that that pacing um yeah so the, the last the last uh, event in the buenos aires houses is, is um where a little boy has been killed in a tragic car accident and then his dead body has just turned back up sitting at his kitchen table with a glass of milk yeah. and as if that's not scary enough um the two paranormal investigators i think one is a paranormal investigator maybe one of them's a a cop or a coroner yeah they go into the other room and they hear well they they return to the body and like the milk's been knocked over as if the child was trying to drink it it's such a powerful image um
0: yeah it was the bit where he was like leaning down trying to like look at the boy and you know and i was just like oh my god like it actually ignited so much anxiety in me yes it it was just amazing the way it was done so, like such a simple sequence but it was just so anxiety inducing and terrifying
1: absolutely 100% yeah have have you seen the um the irish film caviar on Shudder? other
0: i have yes
1: so yeah i mean i were you a fan of that one
0: um i i liked some aspects of it i liked how again drawn out it is and how you know when you when you see that which is meant to scare you it is quite a jump um i thought the the story was a bit convoluted a bit kind of all over the place but generally i quite liked it
1: cool 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 i mean just um, this sequence kind of puts me in mind of without spoiling anything for caveat because that's quite a new film but like um there's a a moment in the last 20 minutes which very much reminds me of this where like you're just waiting for something to happen Mm -hmm. and then when it happens it's it's comparatively incremental like it's like mm-hmm. the glass of milk being knocked over but because you're so amped up by that point like mm-hmm. the slightest thing feels like it's a cataclysmic yeah earthquake yeah yeah definitely I mean I mean so basically terrified then if, if that stays at the setup then uh three paranormal investigators uh resolve to basically investigate what's happening on the street and for some reason think it is good a good idea for them to split up into these three different houses on the same night and then observe what happens and uh needless to say all hell breaks loose um
0: yeah (laughs) Yeah. i always wonder like do these people live in a world of horror films because we all know you don't split up
1: (laughs) i know guys like you're literally a paranormal investigator this should be your bread and butter
0: and they're all quite like they're quite elderly as well so you're like you have to look after each other like you know and one of the detective has like a heart problem and you're like don't split up
1: (laughs) Mm. yeah absolutely you know it's it's fantastic i think there's something about the way it unfolds as well in that in that kind of second and third acts um which is fairly relentless and fairly fairly disorientating i think it's fair to say i mean like the the kind of the reveal towards the end is that these are some kind of interdimensional beings who are who are kind of breaking through into our reality um and so it's kind of almost like it's kind of a cosmic horror almost like an alien horror but like although it's never really i mean it's definitely it's trappings are more supernatural Mm. um and like kind of possession movies and that kind of stuff but it but it's really from a plot point of view it, that's that's not what it's doing yeah um but because it, it is so disorientating and so so it feels so like drenched in otherness um it feels very much out of control and very very unsafe i think the second and third acts as yeah that, that investigation gradually collapses with different different people meeting gruesome ends and yes. and uh, yeah
0: yeah and how did you feel about the ending and how it kind of it doesn't really answer any questions, does it? It's left very kind of, um, what's a the word?
1: F- Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan mm-hmm. of that. I, I think there's something beautiful in uh, in leaving stuff unresolved and hanging. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think often actually when people then return to the well of, of through sequels or remakes or, or whatever, and trying and, try to explain things, that's where often problems can, can arise. Uh, like for me, one of the, the best slash worst examples of this was um, when Ridley Scott was interviewed, I think maybe I before, before Prometheus, I think it was before Prometheus. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about his, his justification for wanting to go back and he was like, well, no one really ever explained where the alien came from. and I wanted to tell that story. And I, I thought, well, why? Like you kind of, yeah it kind of to me kind of suggested that maybe you didn't understand the power of that original film because mm-hmm. that first film there is no explanation it's just this is just an organism that does not care like i think that's that quote from ian holmes character ash the android where like it's the perfect organism unclouded by morality yeah. um and it's just yeah it, there's a purity to that first film so similarly like we're terrified the fact that it is very loose end feels like very much you've just experienced this kind of unknowable situation which has been incredibly as the name says like terrifying and inexplicable and then it just finishes and it's really tight it's like 87 minutes long
0: yeah
1: um for me yeah i'm, I'm a big fan of, of that kind of short sharp punch to the throat kind of films
0: <laughs> yeah i oh, i could come and go with this like some films i feel could really do with an, an explanation and that it really needs to kind of come together um, because perhaps the story isn't strong enough to support kind of um, an unambiguous kind of ending whereas I think with uh, terrified Mm. it's almost scarier because there is no explanation because you barely know what the hell is going on what these creatures are um, how they appeared in this community and Yeah, it's almost adds to the fear a little bit.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, I completely agree.
0: So how did you feel about the setting? Obviously, it's set in a community in uh, Buenos Aires. And usually with kind of like haunted house horror, it's kept to the one house, whereas this is a neighborhood. So how did you feel about that point? Yeah,
1: no, I I liked it very much. I mean, I think maybe this is... Tying into what we were saying earlier about how things have that kind of richness of cultural detail um, by having them set in in countries other than, for example, you know, uh, the states or uh, countries which we're more familiar with, um, and this idea of community as well, um, which is which is really important in in the film. There's a sense about tragedies having befallen a series of neighbours, mm-hmm. um, whilst because Sully in the uk and and in the states there's quite a culture of individualism um and you know like the, the cliche An englishman's uh house is his castle and looking out for number one and all that stuff and it feels like it's, it's really like it's really great seeing something with, with slightly different emphasis than that um, i think the other thing about locating it in argentina as well and this is never really hammered home particularly in in the film um but it, it's kind of interesting to kind of consider then like the political and social history of Argentina. So, um, you had like the, um, uh, the coup d'etat in uh, 76 in Argentina, uh, when there was, uh, the overthrow of a democratically elected president Isabel Perón and, uh, military dictatorship was installed. Um, and this was something which is openly then supported by, um, by the states. So you say you had like uh, US Secretary of State Henry Kissinger at the time, went to see the, the dictatorship several times and very much seemed to kind of codify that illegitimate rule. Um, and know like this, so then the, the, the human rights violations under the dictatorship were kind of astronomical. You had something like 30,000 forced disappearances over the course of their installment, mm-hmm. um, and lots of extrajudicial arrests, mass executions, torture, rape, um, these kind of disappearances of, of prisoners um and dissenters and interestingly as well we talk about that little boy reappearing at the table the illegal relocation of children and so what i think is interesting by this being an argentine story is this kind of idea that you're living your normal life and then something unknowable happens which has been orchestrated or carried out by these unknowable forces which completely violates your home life like so you literally see within the series of like you know those three events the murder of a woman who the husband is then blamed for the killing. Mm -hmm. This other guy goes missing with some kind of creepy like figure under the beds, you know, that's kind of perhaps Mm -hmm. like the idea of reds under the beds has been like this kind of other kind of language of political distance. distance. And then this child disappears and reappears again. And so you kind of feel like we're using genre trappings to kind of play around with fantastical representations of the fears, which have been very real for the Argentine people. Mm So, um, I think for all that stuff as well just gives it a real weight and gives it a, a, a real real depth which although it's never spelled out in a didactic this is a metaphor this is a simile it's it's feels very much as drawing on that sense of national trauma being processed which yeah. um i think it does yeah it, it adds like another level of uh of quality to it i think as a film
0: yeah i agree with uh all of that i couldn't have said it any better um i got from it um kind of the theme of kind of inter-community trauma and how that trauma is shared um and how it kind of even though it could be you know a time has gone since this trauma has happened it never really leaves that community you know the ghosts of this trauma linger on especially i kind of related it to you know what happens in ireland and northern ireland we're still kind of um recuperating from the troubles and how it still affects our communities um and so i kind of related it to that a bit obviously it's nowhere near what happens in uh, argentina but yeah that's what i kind of got from it and i love that you couldn't place this story anywhere else you know it it has to be in argentina it has to be within this community and i think that's why i really really enjoyed this film
1: yeah no absolutely it goes back to i guess original comments about horror being a kind of therapy that um i think unless you've been in a uh, a nation which has experienced that kind of collective national trauma it's very difficult to then automatically tune in yes. to films or filmmakers from those nations who, who are doing, doing those things. I think, I mean, I'm a massive fan of Japanese cinema, like not just yeah. horror films, but like, you know, from every, every genre. And I think post-war Japanese films as well are similarly so interesting because it, it's like a, a post-imperial power mm-hmm. wrestling with the fact that they were on the losing side and are to be on the wrong side of like this mm-hmm. cataclysmic war. And I think like there's, uh, I wouldn't say I'd be on the wrong side. But, um, uh, just to be clear, you, uh, anything, this isn't like a private conversation. It goes out on the internet, where it's open to open to misinterpretation. Just to be really clear: fascism is bad, kids. But um, uh, yeah, but I'm interested in that kind of that kind of psychic collective processing of it, and mm. and I think it's yeah, it's so it's so important. And again, like just being able to kind of have those conversations in a safe space where like no one's literally worried about, you know, mm-hmm. trans, trans-dimensional beings breaking out your block <laughs> or Well, you might be after this film. Well,
0: maybe, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but the idea of like a, a military coup, like an idea of like people coming for your family or taking your kids, like that stuff is the reality for a lot of people. And that yeah. certainly has been the reality of living memory. And so, yeah, again, I think it's just doing fantastic footwork in terms of navigating difficult emotional territory in a really deft and really powerful way.
0: Yeah. So would you recommend Terrified to horror audiences?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I would say it is very scary. So if, if you're somebody who is like a, uh, a casual horror watcher, maybe just be advised going into it. Um, yeah. But I think if, if you're a devotee of the genre, I think you're gonna love it.
0: Yeah. And I think also it's a great kind of foray into Latin America horror. If like me you were completely kind of ignorant of the this kind of area of the genre, I think it's a great kind of gateway into um, a very kind of individual style of horror.
1: Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I think I mean it's worth saying that um, Del Toro, um, who we mentioned earlier, has uh, a couple of years ago announced he's planning to remake this. Mm. Um, So you know I trust Del Toro, but obviously that's the intersection of it's a remake and do we need a remake i mean it's so interesting is um that we don't need to remake but no. I, I also respect <laughs> i mean you know del Toro is a, a great champion of of latina voices he also was fully behind like uh isa lopez's tigers are not afraid mm-hmm. which is also on shadow is a fantastic mexican film um but also like last year during lockdown rugner uh it kind of disclosed in an interview with Rumorg um that he was working on a sequel uh for terrified yes, yeah. so i mean We'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Um, I don't know if, if, if that's gonna come to pass or not. And I equally I hope he doesn't tie up any timidly loose ends. I hope it's another kaleidoscopic nightmare with no no reason. Yeah,
0: absolutely. <laughs> um, but it's interesting,
1: yeah. We, we might maybe we'll still get more in the terrified universe either through the Deutoro fund or backed remake or the uh yeah. script or sequel.
0: Yeah, I'm hoping for more sinkhole horror.
1: Sinkhole horror. <laughs>
0: yeah. Absolutely. Um, So let's move on to the second movie, which I chose. It is called Morto no Fala, which means uh, dead don't speak. Um, It is a 2019 Brazilian film directed and written by Denison Romalo. Um, And it follows uh, Stenio, who played by Daniel de Oliveira, And he has a gift for communicating with the dead, specifically corpses that land on his slab in his morgue because he is a a mortician assistant. Um, And it's such an interesting premise for the film. I really enjoyed the premise, not so much the uh, undertaking of it. Um, I kind of felt like the corpses were a bit weird. Um, when he's speaking to them it's like they used a lot of uh, digital effects whereas I think it would have been better if they'd used uh, practical effects what what do you think of that
1: I mean I think the thing with digital effects is that they can like be quite unsuccessful quite easily right like I had a uh, I was, had an interview last year with Dan Martin, who's the effects artist for Possessor. And mm-hmm. he was saying, What's interesting with digital effects is it could be 99% out, but if it's 1% out, your eye's going to spot it. Yeah. Um, while with practical effects, there's, um, because it's all tangible, like it's, it's a lot yeah. more easily forgivable. And so, yeah, definitely it's kind of something which is, you know, it's, it's just a tricky line to walk, right? Isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I just felt like, yeah, I just felt, it would have been a lot more believable. I mean, obviously, talking to corpses isn't that believable, but it would have been a lot more believable in this situation if they'd just done corpse makeup on someone. And, yeah. You know.
1: For sure, for
0: sure. Yeah. Um. So while talking to a corpse on his slab, he learns that his wife is having an affair with the bakery uh, guy who she works with, and he decides to put in plan sorry put in motion a plan which results in his wife um, and her lover being murdered Um, and then his wife decides to go full-on haunted house poltergeist possession on the whole household and terrifies um, uh, Stenio and his two children um yes it first of all how did you feel about the film did you like the film
1: so i actually need to I should have say this at the top to be up front i haven't actually been able to catch the film yet so i'm kind of <laughs> I, i'm sorry i realized as we started speaking i was like i think i may have misunderstood the parameters of the podcast where like i watch one you watch one i was supposed to watch both wasn't i i do apologize yeah, it's um, okay. but maybe i can ask you a question i was going to well, ask then. like um how how, yeah. how do you feel um, about this idea of like the vengeful female ghost or the vengeful female woman um, in particularly a supernatural film like what's your what's your kind of currency with that
0: I actually funny enough you said this I actually made a point about this film I feel that with the vengeful female figure uh, in this case it's his wife they're always painted to be like re- you know the baddie the villain they're you know they're what we have to defeat and kill off and blah 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 and yes you know she was having an affair but that's just normal you know she's just being human Mm -hmm. um and it was uh stenio who basically got her killed because he was acting out of a place of machismo and instead of just being like okay my wife's had an affair shit (laughs) <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. he
0: decided to get her and her lover killed and i just feel like there's too much sympathy for that character yeah and we are meant to you know feel bad for him that his wife has come back and wants to kill him and make his life a living hell but like why why shouldn't she <laughs> <laughs> you know he killed her yeah. why shouldn't she
1: <laughs> yeah and it's interesting because there's there's that um, the mythology of Lililonia, and again apologies eee. for my pronunciation, but this kind of this um, weeping widow who yeah. who comes to steal away children. She's like a spectral folkloric presence in uh, Latino or Mexican in Mexican folklore, um, and it is, it is interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of those representations of women um, tend to be around male anxiety about female sexuality and yeah. so sort if of, we're talking about linking it specifically to an affair and, and without mm-hmm. commenting one way or the other about the morality of that i think like mm-hmm. most people would agree that infidelity whoever is committed by is a betrayal of trust by the on the mm-hmm. other party but when we're talking about it in terms of like a, a female adulteress who is then killed by her uh, husband coming back to horn, it's very much like the the kind of the question about male anxiety over female sexual power is very much on the Mm. table, it feels as as a theme. Um, it doesn't sound like you were massively a fan of the way it was handled though.
0: No, I just, I just think that it is a trope that is too kind of played out a lot. You know, the, the angry woman who got what was coming to her, but you know, now, even though she's been killed, she has to basically be killed again for the Mm. second time. Um, i mean the only thing i kind of had a bit of an issue was the way she also wanted to kill her children Mm. um but i kind of feel like that was maybe um again from real life kind of issues that happen in brazil um in sao paulo especially um there is a very big thing about infanticide, infanticide? Yeah, infanticide. Um, and I kind of feel like that was a reflection on that. Um, I There's a book called Death Without Weeping, which is basically about um, mothers who kill their children because of whatever is going on socially, economically, politically. Um, it's a really bad book. I had to like read it for my anthropology degree. Um, and so, yeah, I was kind of a bit humming and iron about that, but I could almost understand why it was added in, mm-hmm. but I just wish it had been a little bit less, look at that crazy bitch <laughs> coming back yeah. to life and, and more kind of about Stenio and how he's actually the villain in this. Yeah, yeah,
1: for yeah. sure. I mean the the infanticide angle as well. It feels very much of a Lillonia trope as well. Yeah. Um, like she she killed her kids mm. and then comes to snatch away other kids. Um, and there's something there, like, isn't there, about like uh, female violence against children in particular being still one of those massive taboos, both mm-hmm. socially and and cinematically. Um, so maybe a slight spoiler for Possessor for yeah. like 30 seconds. But there's this moment at the end of mm-hmm. um, Possessor which is still shocking just to have an on-screen murder of a child committed by
0: yeah. the mother.
1: Um, and yeah, I mean, some interesting ideas then in the sandbox here, but but yeah, if you're not going to interrogate the male privilege or the male power, which kind of set a lot of those wheels in motion, yeah. you're kind of missing <laughs> that crucial yeah. part of the puzzle to have that conversation, yeah. right? I
0: just wish they'd focused on that a bit. I mean, there was a lot of focus on like um, the kind of like the peripheral issues going on. So we had like a lot of gang violence in it, um, mention of police brutality mention of femicide um so like terrified i liked how they set it very much within that community uh within what happens in um say the 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 more vulnerable communities within brazilian cities like sao paulo um because like all good horror it does reflect what is actually yeah. happening in society so that was like my main you know i really liked that aspect but yeah just the gendered side of things mm. i was a bit eh, about
1: you see yeah it's interesting isn't it? i think like gender and horror films in general continues to be like both one of the most interesting uh sources for examination i think feminist readings of horror like have yielded so much good fruit um and yet there's also continues to be quite a strong <laughs> a strong seed of misogyny in horror films as well which is like you know have we not dealt with this yet um yeah but yeah so it's kind of still like that troubling thing that mm. is still kind of like dogging the genre
0: absolutely um so from what i have described about more tone <laughs> does that make you want to watch it or are you kind of like yeah yeah
1: no yeah I would definitely give it a, i mean like gendered reason horror films are something i absolutely up- up- uh love i feel like this some of my the, the best stuff I think that's been made in recent years has been around around this topic. I mean, uh, you've written an uh, excellent uh, essay from uh, Moving Pictures Film Club, which is going to drop in a few weeks on uh, mm-hmm. The Babadook, Jennifer Kent's film, um, which is, you know, uh, fabulous. And uh, we mentioned uh, Issa Lopes' Tigers Are Not Afraid. And then, like, female-driven, female-centric stories are, are like, just so, at the moment, it feels very much so vital and so, mm-hmm. so... Um, powerful in the horror genre um as i said i've not seen loads and loads of latino horror films and so i'd definitely give this give this a whirl just to kind of widen my scope Mm -hmm. um but it it doesn't sound that maybe it's as successful as, as terrified or some of those other titles that we've we've name checked
0: yeah i definitely think that terrified is perhaps you know if i had to recommend one over the other i definitely think terrified would be just for it's kind of subtle take on issues within argentina and that it actually makes it really, really scary, <laughs> you know, as it actually is in real life. Yeah. Um, so do you think that you will be exploring more Latin America um, titles?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I mentioned Shudder earlier and Shudder have been doing like a great job about putting a lot of these, mm-hmm. these titles out there. Um, so, I mean, earlier this year we had the old ways, which I mean, it isn't really, a, it's a Latino set horror film it's actually directed by an American but mm-hmm. um, with a Latino cast it, uh, which is pretty pretty decent um, Skull the Mask as well by Amando, uh, Finesco and Capel Furman came out uh, a few weeks ago on Shudder as well so it feels like that stuff is becoming more and more accessible um, but yeah absolutely we'll continue to go back to that well and
0: yeah and, uh, yeah. yeah I think Shudder has been absolutely amazing in championing champion champion i can't speak <laughs> <laughs> it's late um in champ championing no in pushing <laughs> horror sure. from other cultures and i think it is such a great resource like and it seemed to have really gotten its stride within the past year or so
1: yeah absolutely obviously
0: with everything that's happened but yeah i love Shudder. <laughs> yeah
1: no, know it's, it's been incredible like the I mean, it was about this time last year that um, they released Rob Savage's Host, which was, mm. of course, probably the one of the big films of of lockdown one. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and it just feels like every month they're bringing out like stuff which is either really good or or at the very very least really important and really interesting. So they had like the yeah. Los Romero movie, um, uh, the amusement park, I should say, yeah. by a little kind of uh, sidebar that arguably. Ramiro is uh, half Latino, uh, okay. so I, which I hadn't hadn't realised. I think his mother was Lithuanian,
0: yeah. his
1: father was Spanish, but had grown up in Cuba, and so okay. there's like a tangential yeah. link to bring him there. To- <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, um, but yeah, like lo- lots of great stuff on his mm. children. I mean, obviously not. If you're a horror fan, you if we're honest, you've all seen like a fair fair amount of stuff, which is is less good. Um, so it's not all it's not all killer, but like um it there's definitely been a lot of really good stuff for, over the last six months or so and
0: yeah absolutely um so before we go i always ask what is your favorite horror film
1: that uh, is an excellent question i think i'm going to be really cliched and mm. say the exorcist um... uh, mine too <laughs> oh okay good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> what, what's your relationship with the exorcist
0: um i I was a massive fan of the book uh the book creeped me the hell out and i just feel obviously because uh william peter blatty also wrote screenplay and also basically headhunted william friedkin that it was just the most perfect adap- adaptation of the book and it's terrifying and it you know i'm i'm really into my possession and kind of religious themed horror um mm, even mm. though i'm an atheist <laughs> it's, it's just something that really gets me and i just think it's it still terrifies me to this day
1: yeah that's what incredible. about you yeah no I, I think i first saw it we we had the mm. version that you've never seen that came out in the late 90s and i think mm. i went to see it like three times at the pictures and <laughs> um i mean weirdly like i i have not been particularly frightened by it but i just find mm. it really really powerful like emotionally um because yeah. it is it's not just a scary movie about the devil possessing this little girl it's also like these huge themes of like good versus evil and what it means to to give your life for something and mm-hmm. what it means to like wrestle with faith and doubt um and like yeah i mean I, I love Blatty as well i think this is part of his trilogy of faith with the ninth yeah. configuration and exodus 3 and I, I love certainly ninth configuration i think is, is mm-hmm. absolutely fantastic exodus 3 I think it's very good, um, although probably not on a par with the other two. Um, but yeah, I just I just love those kind of big questions because again, I don't think people in in culture ask enough of those big questions, mm-hmm. like why are we here? What do you actually believe about God or yeah. the absence of God, and like how are you going to like wrestle with those things? And I think mm-hmm. to do that in, in a genre film is is you know it, for me it, it's whenever I watch The Exorcist, like I'm away, like I've had almost like a, like it's been like almost like a cleansing rain mm-hmm. for my soul, you know. I kind of just like come out of it feeling refreshed and like seeing the world you again. And I think yeah. it's a incredible revitalizing piece of work.
0: Yeah. Um, so if people would like to find you on the socials, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, cool. Uh, so I'm on Twitter at Fat F A T S C O L E M N, or you can come over to movingpicturesfilmclub.com for writing by myself and lots of other people.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me, and I'm once again really sorry for <laughs> having watched okay. one of those films. <laughs> I feel like I got kind of missed an essential part of that brief.
0: <laughs> it's it's fine. We still had a good chat. <laughs> Absolutely. So that was my chat there with Tim Coleman about two horror films that come from the continent of South America or Latin America. Um, So that is 2017's Terrified from Argentina, which you can find on Shudder. And also Morto No Fala, which is from Brazil, um, which i found on youtube if you're looking for it i know sometimes it can be a bit hard to find but there you go and i hope like me this encourages you to seek out um more films from that corner of the world um because like myself and tim coleman chatted about they have such a strong social commentary about them, about a culture and a community that you may not know anything about, may not be privy to, and it's just really interesting to see, like a lot of other horror movies, um, how they reflect, you know, the socio-economic and the politics and everything going on within that country. Um, so as always, you can catch us on social media, um, Instagram or Facebook at what a scream podcast. You can find me on Twitter at what underscore scream. Um, and that's how you're gonna keep up with us. And I really hope that whatever podcast streaming service you're listening to us on, you comment and subscribe and review and all that fun stuff. And if you are watching us on YouTube, subscribe there and then go over to a podcast streaming service and review and subscribe there as well please um as always i hope you are staying safe and you're doing okay and as always stay horrific goodbye